Um, but it was still packed. People started to understand the reason for going, I think, um, and so they would make it a priority to go. But why? Why would we go? You know, as we set up this day, as we, as we started this series, we started with asking the question, what is a healthy church? And we concluded our first week saying a healthy church is a congregation that increasingly reflects God's character as his character has been revealed in his word, which means it can look differently. You know, a healthy church can look one way or another. It can look very different as long as it is reflecting God's character. So one of the, the primary reasons God has chosen the church, chosen us, is to reveal himself to the world. As people come in here on a Sunday, hopefully they are getting to know God some. And as your neighbor or your coworker is getting to know you, hopefully they are getting to know what God is like. That's his intention through the church. But also we have a mission. Our mission is to go make disciples. A very specific mission, because if it was just to be saved, then why didn't God just take us away right when we placed our faith in him? Why wouldn't Brian just go poof, gone right now? And Dylan, gone. Because he's left us here because we have a mission to bring others. God, it says in the Bible that Jesus desires none to be lost, but for all to come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his beloved son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So, so Jesus is waiting. He wants more to be saved. And we are his vessel to take that word, to draw people to him. But we can do that not on a Sunday, right? Do we do that on a Sunday? Not a lot. And that's actually a big debate in, in churches. Is, is Sunday for the believer or is it evangelistic? Excuse me, is it for the non-believer? So we know the church, a lot of times, really, we gather, uh, it's mostly for the believer. And so the mission is carried out out there. So what are we doing here? What's the point? First question I want to ask is, does God actually desire for us to gather regularly? Or is this something that the church business says so that they can make money? I've heard that plenty of times. The church just wants money. And so they want to get you there on a Sunday just to keep the business going. And some churches, that's probably the case. But does God want us to make a priority out of gathering? And you probably know the answer, but I'm going to prove it through scripture because scripture is where we go. We're going to be in two passages today. It's a little different. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. So you can turn there, look that up. We're then going to go to Psalm 95 and we're going to hop back and forth just a little bit. So if you want to turn to both, go ahead and do that. If you want to listen, that's okay. But I encourage you to follow along in scripture because we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews, it's not a big book. And if you're having trouble finding it in the Bible, it is totally okay to look at the table of contents in the front. There is nothing wrong with that. So find Hebrews 10. Does, does God actually want us to gather regularly? We're going to start in verse 19. The writer says this, Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of the faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. 
Now, before I go on, look at those verses. What's he saying? This writer, he says, therefore, he's talking about all these things of how great Jesus is before this, how great Jesus is, how it's all about Jesus. It's not about angels. It's not about anything else. It's all about Jesus. And he says, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, what he means is you, if you're a Christian, you can go into the direct presence of God. You don't have to go through a pastor. Do you know that? (laughs) You don't have to go through a priest. I've heard this happen before. Derek, will you pray you have a more direct access to God because you're a pastor? That's not true. We all have equal access to God. That's what he means. That's pretty awesome because it's so exciting that you now have direct access to God through what Jesus did. No righteousness of your own. Through what Jesus did. And you have confidence. That's what he's talking about in verse 22. You have confidence that you can enter him, enter with him with, in verse 22, a true heart being sprinkled clean. He's talking about the heart here. Then he moves on in in verse 23. Since these things are true, hold fast to this confession. Hold fast to the truth that Jesus died for you, that you're right with him, that you have direct access to God and the hope that someday you'll be with him forever. Hold fast. And then he moves to, there's now another aspect of this with one another. Stir up. Verse 24, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. All of this is a result of what Jesus did and our placing our faith in him. And then he starts to change us. Now he says this in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, basically, if this was literally translated, stop neglecting the gathering as is the habit of some. The writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is pointing out a problem that he sees, that God sees and through this writer makes known. Stop not gathering. A lot of the people at that time were were saying, you know what, we don't need to get to that weekly gathering. We're gonna do our own thing over here. And this writer is saying, no, stop it. Stop not gathering. He says right here, stop forsaking the gathering. Or in some translations in ESV, not neglecting to meet together. Forsake, that word literally means to abandon or to leave in the lurch, to desert. It's a heavy word if you really understand it. It it means you are abandoning your brothers and sisters in in where we are supposed to be getting together because you bring something. And that's one of the things we're going to get more into the next couple weeks. But if you're saved, you've been chosen by God, you've been made unique, you've been gifted uniquely, and you have something to offer nobody else can offer. Do you know that? And so if you're not gathering, the church misses out. I've heard this said, I don't need to gather. I don't need the church. Well, guess what? God says the church needs you. You are part of the church. And so stop neglecting what I've told you to do. Stop not gathering. God expects his people to make corporate gathering a priority. And this has always really been the case. We can go back into the Old Testament. We can look at the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a time that that God told his people, the Jews, set aside that day to worship, to not work, to be with me, to be with my people. And we say here often that the Christian life is not us working hard for God. We are ambitious to not become legalistic or just go through ritual. But the Christian life is not us working hard for God, but it's Jesus living the life he lived then, lived out now in and through us. So if we want to know how we are to live, we look at how did Jesus live? And did Jesus see gathering one day a week to worship as a priority? Luke 4, 16. You don't have to turn there. It'll pop up here. Luke 4, 16. Speaking of Jesus, 
And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. As was his custom, Jesus habitually gathered with fellow Jews to worship. He made it a regular basis, as was his custom on the Sabbath. That means for Jesus, it was regular weekly. Wherever he was, we know he traveled around, but wherever he happened to be, his custom was to join the worship in that place. Now, we can move on to go, we're going to move on, we're going to look at why. But we see here very clearly, we can answer this question, and we knew this when we started. Does Jesus, does God want us to gather regularly to worship? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does the church regularly gather together to worship? Is this a priority? The answer to that is no. If you were to quiz or put a survey out of of believers in the U.S. and say, should you gather weekly with the church? Most would answer no. They might answer yes, but they answer no with their feet. Here's why. The average church, the average church will have 25% of their membership show up on a given Sunday. One out of four. Uh, about a year ago, I met with a, another pastor, a friend, and he kind of lamented. He said, yeah, we have our membership, all those who call this church home, you know, they say they're committed. He said, but any given Sunday, one out of four show up. One out of four. And he's like, that's a, and he lamented it. He's like, There's, what can we do about it? He just kind of said, this is the state of the church nowadays. Just expect we're going to have one out of four. And I go, I'm not okay with that. Because that's not Jesus' heart. That's not the way God planned for the church to operate. That means we're missing out on 75% of what God wants to do through people if 25% are showing up. So here's the point. Gather. We want to gather. Now, we're going to look at why. And we're going to see that here in in Hebrews 10, but we're also going to go to Psalm 95. The question is why. Now, if you're anything like me, you do things a little better when you know why. You know, we have four kids. Some of the kids obey quicker than others. Some kids really need to know why? Um, and I'm kind of one of those. And so we want to answer that question. Why? Because that's another one. When people ask, why do you go to church or should you? Well, the answer is yes. Why? We might have a variety of answers to why, or we might not even know why. It might just be, well, just because we're supposed to. So we're going to look now, why are we supposed to gather? Look here back at Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Verse 19, we'll start at the beginning. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. What is he describing there? He's describing salvation. He's describing us being in a right relationship with God through Jesus. That's what he's describing. Then he moves on to how we respond. But because we're saved, then we do this or that. Look at Psalm 95 real quick. And then you can keep your thumb in there if you're one of those or or not. That's fine. But Psalm 95, and this is where we're going to spend the bulk of today. But Psalm 95, we see the psalmist describe a worship service, which is really cool. He describes the worship worship service, but he starts it this way in verse 1. He says, oh, come. It's a call. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. So we gather, why? Because Jesus saved us. That's the first reason. We gather because he saved us. 
It's a response. Yes, it's obedience, but it's also a response, hopefully out of the heart. We see that word over and over in that Hebrews passage from the heart, a heart sprinkled clean, a true heart from our heart that's been converted to Jesus from the world. That's repentance. We turn to him. Now we want to gather with his people. We want to meet with him. He says, Psalm 95 verse two, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. So we come because he saved us and with thanksgiving. Imagine if somebody saves you, how do you respond to that? There was a, a shooting in a Florida airport about a year ago, earlier this year. This shooting, five people were killed. The guy was walking through, just popping people off. One lady, she couldn't get away. She hid behind the, like the carts. And so she was hiding, hopefully not to be seen. An older gentleman ran up and laid on top of her. Total stranger. Just laid on top. He said, I'll protect you. It just kind of, you know, and just, just laid there. Now, neither of them got shot, but he stayed there over her. Somebody he didn't even know until the whole thing was done. How do you think she responded? Like, see ya. <laughs> just, just kind of a nod. <laughs> I mean, honestly, how would you respond? Oh my goodness, thank you. You were willing to, to lay your life over me and cover me? That's, that's no small thing. That's what Jesus did for us. And so when we, when we don't make gathering a priority, we're just kind of giving this nod like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> I got my fire insurance. You know, whatever, no big deal. You know, you're cool, I guess. <laughs> but here, how do you respond when somebody saves you? With thanksgiving, we gather. Now we're gonna see something else. As we look on, look at 95 now, Psalm 95, verses three through five. He's going to elaborate a little bit more here on why. Let's see if we can see it. Verse three, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Do you see why we gather there? We gather because he is a great king. It says a great king above all gods. In that day and age, there, you know, atheism didn't really exist. There was no such thing. Most religions were polytheistic. There was a God of the heavens. There was a God of the sea. There was this God. There was that God and all these things. Well, here he's saying, no, there's only one God above all gods, meaning those don't even exist. One God that created everything, made everything in everything holds everything together. I mean, we could go over and over in scripture. We can look in Hebrews and everywhere about how great our God is that he created it with the word. We know that he created, that Jesus was the word that created and that he still sustains. Do you know that? That if God decided to not sustain the world right now, it would just go, whew, we would just cease to exist. You know, you can try and prove that scientifically, whatever, but the Bible teaches that God is holding it all together. In his hands are the depths of the earth. You ever gone spelunking? Neither have I, but I've gone to the cave things. <laughs> have you been to those deep caves where you walk around, they put the lights on and you see the stalactites and the, really the whole thing is just them showing you images they found in the rocks. Um, it's just an excuse to make it longer, but it's really cool as you walk around and you see all those things deep in the earth. How many caves are there that we've never discovered? A lot, a lot. The depths of the sea, he says, are his. Verse five, the sea is his for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Have you ever enjoyed fishing in Alaska? Who made that possible? God did. 
Who made salmon? God did. Before that, he talks about the mountains. Any snowboarders or skiers here? Who enjoys the mountains? Who made that? God did. God created this playground called earth for us to enjoy. And all of it points to his glory. He is a great God. We were not created through evolution. We were created by his word in his image for his glory. Everything made here was made for his glory also, but also for us to enjoy. It is amazing. We gather because he is great. That's what he says here. We gather because he is great. The word worship, which we so often hear, uh, it can be broken up. It means worth ship. You worship what you think is worth worshiping. You know, what has worth in your life? And you know, we, we can know because where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? Those are the things that you value. Maybe it's a hobby with cars, whatever it is. But, but these are things that you, you find value in. We're supposed to find value in God because of who he is. And also because of what he's done for us. But he's worth it. That's what kept striking to me as I was studying this. He is worth it. Why do we gather? Because he's worth it. Why would a, a little girl wear a shirt to school? Maybe not a little girl. Why would a girl wear a shirt to school that says Jesus saves and get made fun of and be okay with it? Because he's worth it. Because he's worth it. That was this week. <laughs> Why would we sacrificially give to his work? Because he's worth it. Why would we take time on a Sunday to gather to worship? Because he's worth it. When we sacrifice for him, we're telling him we recognize your worth and we're going to give into that. That's what we do. We gather because he is great. Do we gather because the music is great? No. Now, we might like the music. That's awesome. And our team here is amazing at facilitating worship. But we don't gather because the worship is great. The music is great. We don't gather because uh, the pastor is great. We don't gather because the people are great. We gather because he is great, which means if you move to Podunkville, Nowheresville, and there's only one church in town that believes the Bible and follows Jesus, and all they have is an organ, guess what? Go. <laughs> gather because you're not going for what they offer you. You're going to be part of what God is doing. You're going because he is great. Now, we've talked about that in this series, that what are the questions you ask when you go to a church? And often we ask the wrong ones. They're all about me. Rather than asking, well, where does God want to use me? How can I be involved in what he's doing? But the point, the point of why we gather is for him. We gather because he is great. Now, the better we know God, the more we want to worship. That's the thing that struck me as I was studying this. Why would we not want to gather to worship? For some of us, it might be a lack of understanding who he is and what he's done. The more we get to know him, uh, this week I met with a couple guys and we were looking at the attributes of God, his omniscience. You know, he's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's all good. We, we study all these things about God and it just makes us go, wow, wow, he is so great. He made everything, but then he became a man and died for us so we could have life. I don't understand it, but he's great. And so we gather because he is great. The point I want to make before we move on is that worship is an overflow of the heart. And that's going to cover up the rest of the things we're going to see here in Psalm 95, that worship is an overflow of the heart. The Bible is clear that out of the mouth, the heart speaks. So whatever's in here comes out here. And now we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at how we worship. What do we do when we gather? By the way, the church has been doing basically the same thing for 2,000 years. 
singing, worshiping, praying, baptizing, taking communion, preaching. But what exactly do we do? Now, look at with me, if you would, Psalm 95. Here the psalmist describes what God's people do when they gather. He says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Then he goes in, for the Lord is a great God. So because he's great, what do we do when we gather? What do you see? We sing. A joyful noise is what he says. Literally, that's a shout. He's he's saying, shout to the Lord. When you get together, we're going to get together. We're going to shout to the Lord. Out of the abundance of the heart, we shout our praise to him. Uh, Does this make anybody else uncomfortable? (laughs) This is not the way I learned worship. The way I learned worship was really orderly. Don't get too into it. Don't be a distraction. Don't be crazy. Be orderly. When I was in college, um, I went to what was called Singspiration. Um, and it was a, a worship thing. It was all these students. They'd get together on a Sunday night and worship. And there I was with all these people doing this, you know, raising their hands. I'm like, this is really weird. <laughs> but over time, I started doing this some. And mainly then I joined gospel choir. You know, me and three other white people and all the rest were black. And, and the black have soul. And it was awesome. They were enjoying it. We would do concerts and they're just getting into it. And then there's me getting into it. And my clapping would get off and I'd have to, you know. <laughs> but it was awesome. It was awesome because we were expressing joyfully what we felt. I had permission to express what was in my heart and let it come out of my mouth. And so that's what we want to be looking at here. We are called to sing. It's happened forever and ever. And it's okay for that emotion to come out. It's okay to show it. Now, I want, I want to point out, if you are not a singer, that's okay. If you're one that wants to silently enjoy it, that's okay too. But I would add, try one thing. Try smiling. I mean, I'm not going to tell you how God does it with you, but I'll tell you how God has done it with me. When I smile, something changes. You don't have to sing loudly, but you can. You have permission. And that's what I want us to get here. We have permission to express ourselves. And God is glorified when we do. God is glorified when we do. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do that. The team's going to come up and we're going to sing a song. Not the team, that guy. (laughs) And we're going to sing. And here's what I want you to do. If you're like me from maybe a, a conservative tradition... I want you to experience this song joyfully. Maybe you don't normally sing, try singing. If not, just recognize the words and let this bring joy and let your joy be expressed to God in thankfulness because he's great. Let's do this. Are we going to stand? How was that? Was was that joyful? (laughs) Yes. Okay, cool. In Hebrews, what we just looked at, what is one of the reasons he told us to gather? He said, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Then he says, encouraging one another. Can I tell you that when there's a group joyfully singing, I'm encouraged by that. Sometimes I don't sing because I like listening to the others sing. Do you know that your voice in the mix is an encouragement to the rest? But let me ask this. 
Who is worship for? It's for God. Who's the audience in a church service? Is it you? All those sitting in the seats, are you the audience and, and we're the performers? No. Ideally, we're facilitating all of us to worship and God is the audience. That changes things, doesn't it? So I'm not singing for the person next to me necessarily, although it's encouraging when I do, hopefully. But I'm singing to God. The focus is up. The focus is God. That changes things. It changes our attitude. It changes our spirit. I'm going to read another psalm a little bit, and I want you to listen to this. Don't turn there, but Psalm 150 says this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. That's when you gather. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. You see kind of the pattern? We praise him because of who he is. It's awesome. And then he goes, how? <laughs> praise him with trumpet sound. Any trumpet players? Lydia. Practice more first. <laughs> <laughs> praise him with trumpet. Praise him with lute and harp, different instruments. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Now listen to this one. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Have you ever heard this? The worship was just too loud. The music was just too loud. Maybe you, you, you don't experience that here. The worship is pretty loud. Well, guess what? That's okay. It's okay for it to be loud. It's also okay for it to be quiet. Just so you know, it's okay to worship in the way that you feel best worship from your heart to God. But I want you to have permission. It's okay to be loud. Do we have symbols in here? We don't, but we've got these. And sometimes we use these. And, and if you're like me, I have trouble keeping the beat. Um, unless somebody up here is doing a good job on the drums or with their hands. But it's okay to get loud. It's okay to express ourselves. Um, when I was 16, I went on a missions trip to Fiji. And we did worship leading. We did music. We did dramas. And, and here's the problem of, of getting in front of people and doing stuff. It's this little thing where we care about what people think of us. It's called inhibition. Meaning I, I, I worry about what others think. And so it's going to change the way I act or the way I express myself in a church service in here. It's to God and hopefully we feel free to express ourselves. So one of the things we need to learn to get over is inhibition because it's not about me. It's not about those around me. It's about God. So I'm going to have you repeat after me inhibition. Let's say it. inhibition. inhibition. Okay. Now say it like it tastes bad. Inhibition. Say it like it's really gross. It's the worst thing ever. Inhibition. We, we did this when I was 16. They let us, and it was just a bunch of teenagers. They're like, now do whatever you want. And there was kids like climbing poles and, and blah, 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 you know, it was crazy. But that's not what we're going for. But you give teenagers a chance to really express themselves, they will. Um, we want you to have permission to get loud. Permission to sing loud and even out of tune. That's okay. Um, you may want to sit in the back if you're doing that, but, but it's okay to express yourself. Now, here's the other side of this. The other side is where a culture is formed of fake worship, of being loud because that's what you do, of clapping because that's what you do. And I've witnessed this. I've witnessed people in that culture that this is just how you worship and they worship like this and their life didn't line up. 
I've seen people walking in open, blatant sin, and then they walk in here and they do this like God is great. And I go, there's something off there. So we don't want to create a culture of fake. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's not, this is what we do, and now let's all get together, and, and, and now I'm uncomfortable doing this because everybody else is doing this. You should express how you feel comfortable from your heart to God. So we're not judging people that do this. We're also not judging people that like to do it like this. All is okay, but you have permission. So we're going to sing again another time. And I think the whole band's coming up now. So the whole band, we're going to sing again. And this time we're going to try and get rid of our inhibitions and express yourself as you want. If you're like me, this is weird. But if you feel like trying it, it's okay to try it. Uh, men, I'm going to talk to you for just a minute. We men, it's not really manly to get emotional. It's not really manly to express ourselves. But there was this guy named David. He wrote most of the Psalms. It's a pretty emotional guy. He killed a bear with his bare hands. He killed a lion. He killed a giant and then cut his head off. He led thousands into battle and was the best king that this earth has ever seen. He had some big mistakes. This is a manly guy. Another time, he led a worship procession in his underwear dancing. So, keep your clothes on. <laughs> but, but, it is manly to express your joy and thanksgiving to God. That is a manly thing to do, and you have permission. So, let's worship. You have permission to express yourself. <laughs> How was that? Was, was that joyful? <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. In Hebrews, what we just looked at, what is one of the reasons he told us to gather? He said, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And then he says, encouraging one another. Can I tell you that when there's a group joyfully singing, I'm encouraged by that. Sometimes I don't sing because I like listening to the others sing. Do you know that your voice in the mix is an encouragement to the rest. But let me ask this, who is worship for? It's for God. Who's the audience in a church service? Is it you? All those sitting in the seats, are you the audience and, and we're the performers? No, ideally we're facilitating all of us to worship and God is the audience. That changes things, doesn't it? So I'm not singing for the person next to me necessarily, although it's encouraging when I do, hopefully but I'm singing to God. The focus is up. The focus is God. That changes things. It changes our attitude. It changes our spirit. I'm going to read another Psalm a little bit, and I want you to listen to this. Don't turn there, but Psalm 150 says this, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. That's when you gather. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. You see kind of the pattern? We praise him because of who he is. It's awesome. And then he goes, how? <laughs> praise him with trumpet sound. Any trumpet players? Lydia. Practice more first. <laughs> praise him with trumpet. Praise him with lute and harp. Different instruments. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Now listen to this one. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Have you ever heard this? 
the worship was just too loud. <laughs> the music was just too loud. Maybe you, you, you don't experience that here. The worship is pretty loud. Well, guess what? That's okay. <laughs> it's okay for it to be loud. It's also okay for it to be quiet. Just so you know, it's okay to worship in the way that you feel best worship from your heart to God. But I want you to have permission. It's okay to be loud. Do we have symbols in here? We don't, but we've got these. And sometimes we use these. And, and if you're like me, I have trouble keeping the beat. Um, unless somebody up here is doing a good job on the drums or with their hands. But it's okay to get loud. It's okay to express ourselves. Um, when I was 16... I went on a missions trip to Fiji and we did worship leading. We did music. We did dramas. And here's the problem of, of getting in front of people and doing stuff. It's this little thing where we care about what people think of us. It's called inhibition. Meaning I, I, I worry about what others think. And so it's going to change the way I act or the way I express myself in a church service in here. It's to God. And hopefully we feel free to express ourselves. So one of the things we need to learn to get over is inhibition, because it's not about me, it's not about those around me, it's about God. So, I'm gonna have you repeat after me, inhibition. Let's say, inhibition. Inhibition. Okay, now say it like it tastes bad. Inhibition. inhibition. Say it like it's really gross, it's the worst thing ever. Inhibition. We, we did this when I was 16, they let us, and it was just a bunch of teenagers. They're like, now do whatever you want. And there was kids like climbing poles and and. You know, it was crazy, but that's not what we're going for. But you give teenagers a chance to really express themselves, they will. Um, we want you to have permission to get loud. Permission to sing loud and even out of tune. That's okay. Um, you may want to sit in the back if you're doing that, but, but it's okay to express yourself. Now, here's the other side of this. The other side is where a culture is formed of fake worship of being loud because that's what you do, of clapping because that's what you do. And I've witnessed this. I've witnessed people in that culture that this is just how you worship and they worship like this and their life didn't line up. I've seen people walking in open blatant sin and then they walk in here and they do this like God is great and I go, there's something off there. So we don't wanna create a culture of fake. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's not this is what we do and now let's all get together and, and, and now I'm uncomfortable doing this because everybody else is doing this. You should express how you feel comfortable from your heart to God. So we're not judging people that do this. We're also not judging people that like to do it like this. All is okay, but you have permission. So we're going to sing again another time. And I think the whole band's coming up now. So the whole band, we're going to sing again. And this time we're going to try and get rid of our inhibitions and express yourself as you want. If you're like me, this is weird. But if you feel like trying it, it's okay to try it. Uh, men, I'm going to talk to you for just a minute. We men, it's not really manly to get emotional. It's not really manly to express ourselves. But there was this guy named David. He wrote most of the Psalms. It's a pretty emotional guy. He killed a bear with his bare hands. He killed a lion. He killed a giant and then cut his head off. He led thousands into battle and was the best king that this earth has ever seen. He had some big mistakes. This is a manly guy. Another time, he led a worship procession in his underwear dancing. So, keep your clothes on. <laughs> but, but, it is manly to express your joy and thanksgiving to God. That is a manly thing to do, and you have permission. So, let's worship. You have permission. 
to express yourself. (laughs) 